Time for Talk of the Town with Lisa Kay. Time to check in with Kent TC. It is time for Talk of the Town here on KTOE. It's our focus on ag, and we check in with Kent and find out what's going on with the latest in agriculture and ag news. Uh, since the last time we talked to you, Kent, we're really butting right up against pregame for the Twins home opener. Well, it is, and a uh, nice sunny day. It looks like uh, they made a good call to push it back a day, and... Uh, I think they're home here for about the next week, and it sounds like, uh, I think, a lot of day games, and they're going to have some pretty nice weather here for early season baseball. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, once again, uh, just talk of the town listeners should be aware that my show does get preempted when the Twins play an afternoon game. But today, pregame starts at 2.30 right here on KTOE, and I believe uh, first pitch is at 3.10. So we've got time to talk to Kent today. We're glad for that. Um, beautiful weather, as we've been talking about. Let's talk. Uh, let's start with the, the weather and spring planting and what things are starting to look like as the snow disappears. Well, it's certainly been an interesting year. You know, I, I think there was a lot of hope probably a month ago when we talked that maybe uh, things would shape up for a fairly early spring and uh, certainly uh, that has diminished in a lot of areas maybe not as much in our immediate areas some other areas uh, you know a week ago this weekend and then again uh, back Tuesday into Wednesday uh, parts of the northern half of Minnesota and north and south Dakota both times got over a foot of snow so uh, in some of those areas they still have two to three feet of snow on the surface yet and or and lesser amounts in some area but uh bottom line is uh in a lot of those areas uh, they still are probably weeks instead of days away from uh, thinking of uh doing any type of spring work uh, either in the fields the gardens or anything uh we're a little more fortunate i think here in the uh southern two or three tiers of counties in minnesota that uh uh, we've kind of missed the brunt of the last few storms on the snow side, and even uh, the rainfall amounts have been more limited, at least in the immediate area here uh, in um, Mankato and surrounding areas. So we're probably in better shape than most, and, uh, you know, I think we're on target here with the weather forecast coming up for the next uh, week to 10 days that, uh uh, we go down the road here 10 days to two weeks, uh, things might be looking fairly hopeful for uh, getting a good start on spring planting out there, and certainly for those that want to do some gardening for the same uh, type of thing there. I'm looking forward to getting out in the garden uh, myself and doing some cleanup in the yard and things like that, but well, let's talk about the, the warm-up. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be up in the 70s, and then it's going to drop back down. Uh, what are the the implications of that? Is that going to help with the soil in the fields? And what kind of temperatures are well, we really looking for? Well, it certainly is. You know, obviously one of the things you worry about once you start spring planting is uh, soil temperature, especially early in the growing season. Um, normally, uh, when we talk soil temperature, uh, our biggest concern is in that two to four inch range because that's uh, normally we're planting corn around uh, inch and a half, two inches deep, maybe a little more in some cases. So that's really the important zone there about that uh, top four inches of soil. Now, obviously it helps if you can warm the soil profile up deeper in the soil because then it holds its heat more uh, throughout the 24-hour period. Uh, if you got very cold soils deeper in the soil, then 
uh, you get a lot more fluctuation in temperatures. And it, it's better to have more uh, consistent stability when it comes to the heat there. Now, the, obviously, uh, we've had very few uh, times where we've hit 50 degrees yet, which is kind of the normal uh, time frame that people look at for uh, uh, having um, kind of a minimum level for their corn germination. Now, the good news is, uh, you know, kind of starting over the weekend here into next week, uh, we're talking uh, highs uh, initially in the 60s and then into the mid to upper 70s for a few days. So, uh, and I think even the lows on some of those days is supposed to stay around 50 degrees. So we will start warming that soil profile up quite a bit in the next week, and that should make for a lot better seed conditions. Now, uh, obviously, in some areas, they still need to wait for soils to dry out to have ideal field conditions. But certainly, I think, uh, you know, the prospects are out there that uh, um, maybe a couple weeks from now, but for sure by that week when we uh, get out there to the uh, 24th uh, or 23rd uh, of April, the end last week of April, to have some pretty good conditions if we don't add a lot of extra moisture to it. So I don't think we're... Uh, certainly sitting that bad here in the immediate area now again as you get north and west of here uh, into some areas where they still got a lot more snow first of all when you got snow cover your temperatures aren't as warm and the soils uh, you got to get rid of the snow before you uh, can start warming those soils up so uh, one positive we've had I think and I again this may vary as you get out of the immediate areas we don't we do not have a lot of frost in the ground and I guess the other thing we didn't mention about the positive about getting some of this late winter early spring moisture is we entered the year last year very dry or ended the year last year very dry uh, our soil profile was uh, very depleted of stored soil moisture, and certainly a lot of this, because of the lack of frost depth, has been soaking in, which should uh, help us replenish some of that stored soil moisture that we may need later in the growing season. Is there an ideal time that we look for for planting uh, corn and soybeans? Well, our ideal window here in southern Minnesota to plant corn is probably in a window from about the 20th of April till the probably first week of May is ideal uh, to get optimum yields. Now, obviously, that depends on uh, having fit soil conditions and temperatures and that type of thing. Uh, research kind of shows if you get, once you go beyond that, the yield potential starts to drop off, even a year like last year. Uh, once uh, in our immediate area here, uh, once corn was planted after about the 10th of May, the yield uh, tended to drop off compared to that corn that was put in in late April or the first few days of May. And that trend kind of holds uh, if you look at long-term data. Now, every year is different and it can change. And somewhat the same is true on soybeans, though it's not as consistent as corn. Uh, <clears throat> Sometimes if, if you have, uh, you can plant soybeans late, and if you get the right kind of conditions, you can get some really good yields. Uh, that happened a few years ago that <clears throat> a couple, two or three years ago, where we planted soybeans fairly late in late May, even into early June, and had some exceptional yields. But I think if you look at long-term research, and again, it would show that being able to get those soybeans planted 
at the very end of April or the first half of May, uh, there's some yield advantage <clears throat> compared to uh, planting those soybeans in the last half of May or early June. All right. So maybe by the next time that we speak, hopefully we'll be in the fields and, and doing all of that kind of work. Uh, let's talk a little well, bit. Well, that would certainly be <laughs> ideal if we're in early May and we're well into planting uh corn and maybe even getting some soybeans in the ground. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for that. Um, let's talk about the grain markets. We're talking about the um, highlights from the March 31st grain markets, correct? Well, a week ago today, uh, March 31st, was a big USDA report day. Uh, two big reports came out that day. Um, the 2023 planting intentions report and the quarterly grain stocks report. Now, the planning intentions report is kind of what it says. It's it's a survey of producers that was done in early March across the country on what crops they uh, intend to plant and what percentage of their acreage to certain crops. And, uh, you know, uh, the, I say intentions because obviously things can change. Uh, what, what things look like uh, at the beginning of the month uh, compared to what they look like uh, at the end of the month uh, might be different. We just got done talking about all the snow in certain areas. And uh, what the report came out was that it showed that uh, farmers intend to plant uh, 92 million acres of corn this year across the country, which is 3.5 million acres more than last year, uh, which is a pretty significant increase. Now, when you drill down into the numbers a little bit, of 40% of those acres are in the states of North and South Dakota and Minnesota. And, of course, we just talked about the snow and some of the impacts from that. And uh, that obviously is an area where we could see some change in acreage if the season gets very late for planting. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess that's a little caveat there on those increased numbers. Now, the, uh, those numbers were above the grain trade. Uh, the corn market has been kind of just neutral since that and didn't react a lot to the, those numbers. On the soybean side, uh, the acreage projected for this year was 87.5 million acres nationwide, very similar to uh, what the total acreage ended last year. Now, what's kind of interesting, again, this kind of goes to that this is an intentions report. A year ago, on the March 31st report, uh, USDA projected 91 million acres of soybeans, and it ended up at 87.4. So there was a pretty big drop-off of acreage from the March intentions to final, and again, part of that was weather-related. There were prevent plant acres in some areas. <clears throat> and then later uh, in the growing season, uh, there were some acres uh, or some drought acres, uh, unharvested acres, or some second crop acres that didn't get planted because of drought. So so those numbers can change. Again, um, uh, the Dakotas uh, showing some increase in acreage. Minnesota's corn acreage is, or soybean acreage is only up slightly. So... Uh, I would say the acreage report overall probably came in a little positive for soybeans because the acres were a little less than was expected and probably neutral to maybe slightly negative for corn. Now, the other big report that comes out there was the grain stocks report, and this uh, lists how much grain inventory is on hand both in uh, uh, commercial storage and on farms as of the 1st of March. And uh, what it came in to say was that for both corn and soybeans, 
there's less bushels on hand than there was a year ago, which again can be positive for the markets. and uh, I think has helped this, at least on the 2022 corn and soybeans, uh, help keep the prices strong. Uh, we talked about basis level, I think, a month or so ago, about the difference between the local price and Chicago Board of Trade based on local demand. And uh, that's kept those uh, local prices compared to the Chicago Board prices very strong, even positive in some cases above that because uh, they're just don't the grain stocks just aren't out there. Now, if there was a negative in those numbers, it was probably the fact that corn export numbers for the three months from December to February were down from a year ago. Of course, uh, we do rely a lot on exports. Now, the that might be offset a little bit because we had some pretty strong say export sales for corn to China during the month of March. So <clears throat> we'll have to watch this. I guess what we're seeing on the grain market side, there's a lot of strength in uh, what I call old crop corn and soybean markets. In other words, the, st- the corn and soybeans that's in the bin from last year still being sold for looking ahead to this year's crop that'll be harvested and sold at the end of the year, uh, those prices have been a little softer and that basis level a little wider. Uh, we're down uh, probably more comparable on new crop prices for this fall to prices that we saw back uh, two years ago, uh, very similar to that rather than a year ago, the prices were a little stronger. Our focus on ag today, Kent TC, Farm Management Analyst and Senior Vice President from MinStar Bank. We know that the current farm bill expires at the end of September this year. How are we coming on the new farm bill that's in Congress? Well, uh, Congress, uh, since about middle of last year, has been having some hearings and listening sessions on a new farm bill. I, I guess I kind of, <clears throat> to put it in terms of uh, a ball game, we're probably at halftime because uh, so far it's been pretty much just that discussions. A lot of the farm organizations and commodity groups and other organizations have weighed in on their priorities for a farm bill. Uh, what we're at least reading now that both the U.S. Senate and U.S. House are planning more uh, uh, detailed hearings coming up. Uh, at this point, there's no formalized farm bill proposal been put forward by either body of Congress. And until we get that, uh, uh, we really aren't ha- going to have much for discussion. But certainly, uh, there are some things out there happening. So I, I think there is some hope. Uh, I think... Um, you know, one of the big things, uh, uh, of course, is we hear a lot of talk about the federal budget and uh, trying to maybe rein in fa- federal spending a little bit. And Farm Bill is very comprehensive. It covers uh, uh, a lot of different aspects uh, through USDA. And and the big one, uh, of course, is the Food and Nutrition Program, or the so-called SNAP or food stamps, which also includes uh, school lunch and WIC programs. Uh, that Kind of the farm bill total projection is about one and a half billion dollars a year, and about over eighty percent of that money goes to the food and nutrition program. Uh, the other big ones are, of course, the farm commodity program that uh, provides government payments, uh, potential government payments to farm operators, dairy payments, uh, the crop insurance payment. Uh, crop insurance is about sixty to sixty-five percent subsidized through farm bill, and then the conservation program. 
programs for CRP and other conservation programs. And then you got all the other programs for research and rural development and all of those horticulture and energy, all those types of things. So a lot of different things. And if they start to cut back on funding, it'll be a kind of a battle in Congress. Uh, where are those cuts going to come from? Of course, some people would like to see changes to some of the programs. So uh, I, there's still a lot of work to do till we get to the finish line. Now, what happens if no new bill is passed? Well, uh, you know, and then that's a gr- great question. Uh, so far, the leadership of the, both the U.S., of course, the U.S. Senate is controlled by the Democratic Party, and both Senator Klobuchar and Senator Smith sit on the Ag Committee, so Minnesota has a lot of ties there. And on the House side is uh, the Republicans are the lead party, and uh, uh, Congressman Finstead sits on the Ag Committee, as does uh, Congressman Angie Craig uh, <clears throat> from the Democratic side. So Minnesota has a lot of representation here. Now, thus far, the message has been that they're very committed, both sides, to getting a farm bill completed by the end of 2023. <clears throat> now, if that doesn't happen, most likely what would happen would be a at least a one-year extension of the current bill. And uh, that's happened in the past. Uh, it's happened with the last couple farm bills where we've had a one-year extension, and then they finalize a bill. Now, ultimately, there will be a bill finalized because uh, otherwise uh, it reverts back to 1949 statute <laughs> on farm bill, which doesn't include a lot of the current programs, uh, conservation and food and nutrition and other. The other thing to remember is that um, there are several aspects of the funding in the farm bill are uh, retroactive and do not require a new farm bill to continue. So uh, I, if I had to guess at this point, I'd say it's at least a 50-50 chance that we might get a farm bill completed this year. I think both houses of Congress would like to have something bipartisan and kind of positive come out of uh, this year's congressional session. Uh, a lot of times farm bills are more bipartisan. They become more geographical in nature. Uh, of course, the caveat on that is it does have to be signed into law by the president and approved there, so they do need that support. And the other thing is both parties, there are a lot of uh, fringe groups out there, uh, members of Congress and others that have certain priorities, and if they decide because they margins in Congress are so thin as far as the majorities that uh, sometimes minority groups uh, have the potential to hold up passage of major legislation, as we've seen. So I, I think, uh, again, you got to keep hope uh, that we get a farm bill done. But if we don't, uh, we will have a continuation of the current bill. So it's not like uh, Uh, things fall off the table if we don't get it done. Right. Uh, Well, as we end our time today, I know that uh, just another thing to to mention, if you get a couple of seconds to talk about the outbreak of um, avian influenza that happened here kind of locally. Yeah, and, you know, that just came out here in the last week and uh, not totally unexpected because usually... Uh, when we've seen outbreaks of avian influenza, it does tend to happen in the spring months from March till about May or June. And uh, the first case for this spring was just identified in a backyard flock in Lesseur County. Uh, let's hope that it's uh, uh, more isolated and mild. Of course, a year ago we had a major outbreak, and actually we continued to have some uh, 
avian flu uh, positive cases throughout much of the year last year. And uh, of course, we've seen a couple times in recent memory where avian flu can really have a big devastation on the Minnesota turkey and uh, poultry industry. Uh, we finally, uh, we of course, we suffered with very high egg prices late in the year last year and early this year. And Egg prices have finally come down, but certainly a uh, little concern again when we hear about uh, uh, potential avian flu outbreaks. And I guess just one other plug out here, even though uh, we aren't dealing with the uh, severe we- winter weather, or those big snowstorms that have happened in the past uh, couple of weeks, but certainly uh, our thoughts go out to the beef cow calf producers out in- and the livestock producers in northern Minnesota and North and South Dakota, uh, late March and April is a prime time for spring calving. In mm-hmm. many of those areas, the calving takes place out in open areas and pastures. And certainly these big winter storms and blizzards make that very difficult. Yeah, I did see a couple of uh, videos of kids with calves on their sleds hauling them back into the barn. So <laughs> uh, definitely <laughs> keeping an eye on the weather and thinking about them. Uh, Kent, if people are interested in getting a hold of your Focus on Ag newsletter, uh, it's really easy to do. Why don't you tell us how to get in touch with you? Yeah, just uh, again, I send out a, a weekly uh, newsletter called Focus on Ag via email. You can just send an email to me at kenttc uh, at binstarbank.com. Or you can go to the Minstar Bank website and uh, be able to access uh, either the newsletter information there. We'll look forward to talking to you next time, crossing our fingers for timely spring planting. Kent TC, thank you so much. Well, thank you and wish everyone out there a happy Easter.